ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, goofballs and scumbags, whether you're over there celebrating the Euro Cup somewhere in Rome, or you're in England really sad about what just happened over the past week, um, whether you're down in Argentina, whether your name is Emmy Martinez, and you got the biggest balls out there, neither here nor there, this is the Football Misfits, episode 5050, woo! Let's go, Arrow Hall for 50! Anywho, y'all know who it is. I am your host, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty, a.k.a. El Pistolero, only on weekends. And uh, I'm sitting here, of course, with the one, the only, Mr. Misfits himself, the man, the myth, the legend. Y'all know him as Ronnie, and so do we. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. Hola, mi gente. Konnichiwa, my friends. Stay strong, be brave. Luckily for us this week, we have the fact checker, the one, the only, Spencer Povich, Mr. Data Desk himself. Y'all know him as Spencer, and so do we sometimes. Spencer, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love, peace and love. I got to say, my, my favorite uh, moment of the past week, I know we usually start with games of the week, but I just got to mention this, uh, was seeing money in a random person's video celebrating the Italian win of the Euro Cup. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know who had the cameras out. And then, you know, when that video came across my wire, I'm like, ah, oh. it, was, it was a good time celebrating with the Italians. The well, minority, the about, by the way. Yeah, the funny thing about that is if, if the camera just turned like half an inch to the left, you would have saw me, uh, H-Man Coker, Spence, and 55,000 other people <laughs> devastated. <laughs> It was tough to watch. Ronnie was throwing his cap in the air, Italian jerseys. Yeah, Speaking of which, I can't of... find that shit anymore. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, it probably got lost in the sauce. Well, <laughs> that that's neither here nor there. Ronnie, um, for the first time in a while, I mean, obviously we have the Gold Cup, but for the first time in a while, things are sort of settling down into that little period we left to call the uh, off-season, if you will. Um, although we do have the Olympics coming up, Gold Cup is in full swing. Yeah, so while other people are on breaks, we are still pushing out episodes and content. We're still doing that. And that being said, uh, with selected tournament tournaments still going, as well as the MLS, if that's your cup of tea, uh, we do have the match of the week. Uh, Ronnie, do you want to start? Yeah, so my favorite game of the week did come into the Gold Cup. It's easy for me to say any game Honduras played and won this week would be my favorite games of the week. I'm defeating Grenada 4 nothing. And then Panama 3-2 in basically Little Honduras, a.k.a. Houston. But it was in Houston on Tuesday of this past week. Um, Qatar and Panama played. And after an uneventful first half, the floodgates opened like crazy. Akram Hassan Afif opened up the scoring in the 48th minute, which was followed immediately by Rolando Blackburn of The Strongest. He actually scored two goals in less than 10 minutes, but sandwiched in between those two goals was another Qatari goal by Alomiz Ali. And so it's 2-2 after the 58th minute. Qatar takes the 3-2 lead courtesy of their captain, Hassan Al-Haidos. He plays for Al-Sad. The makes it 3-all, a penalty for Qatar. And then Panama converts a penalty on their own. And it was from Eric Davis. Six-goal thriller at the end of this one. Qatar definitely came out here, guns a-blazing. They wanted all the smoke against the CONCACAF competition. And they got it from Panama. And they definitely handed Grenada a 4 nothing ass-whooping, just like Honduras did. And this sets up perfectly for Honduras and Qatar in the final match today of the group. Even though Honduras already threw to the next round, Qatar might take the group if they win it. Panama are also alive in the group as well, but is it going to make for a good game between Los Catrachos and they call Qatar the Fighting Crimson. So, yes, we're going to stick in this country for your favorite game of the week, right? 
Yes, sir. Keeping, keeping it on the Western Hemisphere, uh, too much drama for me going on over in Europe and whatnot. So let's stay American here. My game of the week uh, is in the MLS, actually, which their season is in full swing, as they call it. Um, I am going to go ahead and pick a little match between Montreal and FC Cincinnati. Now, the thing about them real quick, they, it should be known, Ronnie, is that there's there's a little something that they have a little issue about giving up two goal leagues. They go up early 2-0, and the next thing you know, something crazy happens. Um, a while back, we saw it happen against when they played Nashville. They have then played the Columbus Crew, uh, same team, new logo, went up 2-0. This is actually last week, I believe. Went up 2-0, Columbus with a red card. Uh, equalized the game and it finished 2-2 and against Montreal a little bit more of the same except maybe two times as many goals well Otis obviously doesn't like FC Cincinnati either <clears throat> I third that by the way but for a completely different reason nothing to hear no there though I think I know exactly what that reason is by the way but as I always say neither here nor there right so anywho FC Cincinnati love giving them Two uh, two goal leads. We know this to be true. Uh, I think uh, the last couple of matches show that, and it was more of the same against Montreal. Uh, they went up early, two nil. Uh, goals in the sixth minute from Harris Medun Janine, name I completely massacred. It's all good though. And then from Brenner in the fourteenth minute, they're up two nil. And this is where Montreal was like, let's get it pop in, as Mason Toy scored a goal. So we're at two one now, yeah. And Cincinnati's like, oh, it's happening again. Uh, however, the goals wouldn't stop there. At 2-1, Joaquin Torres scores another for Montreal to tie the game at 2-2. This is all before the, the first half ended, guys. Now, Brenner, who scored in the 14th minute for Cincinnati, took it upon himself to try and break this sort of curse that they have. They go up 3-2 in, in the beginning of the second half, and uh, Montreal said, we got some for that ass. Mason Toy, who scored the initial goal for Montreal, scores another one, a penalty, in fact. And then Ahmed Hamdi Hussein Hafez, that's his name, y'all. Scores, scores two more goals in the 74th and the 87th. Uh, at this point, it's three with Gustavo Vallecilla scoring as well um, for Cincinnati. So uh, that's mad goals. But just to let y'all know, the score ended 5-4. to four. Montreal beat FC Cincinnati. The two-goalie curse lives on for them. That was my match of the week. Nine goals. Anytime I see it, I can't be mad. As Spencer says, wow to these names. Listen, I just went, that was the uh, Olympic name calling challenge. <laughs> I just went through it. So I probably wouldn't win against uh, some of the commentators at the UEFA Euros. Um, but listen, I did my job. This is Montreal's first game in Montreal since before COVID. The border opened up between the US and Canada. Well, it looks like that's all they needed to score five of them things. Uh, against FC Cincinnati, who isn't doing so hot in the MLS, but what else is new? <laughs> Agreed. They ruled the day they did me dirty, FC Cincinnati. So I mentioned the Gold Cup starting, well, continuing, and I did mention Honduras are through to the next round. They're just one of the many teams who booked a place into the quarterfinal, also joining... Los Catrachos. We have El Salvador out of Group A at this time we're recording. It's just them. Mexico could be joining them, depending on how their game against El Salvador goes. USA and Canada. USA won their group after beating Canada today 1-0 on a first-minute goal by Shaq Moore. And I noticed this as well via the instant gram that goal was the quickest ever in U.S. men's national team history. I believe it was 20 seconds. But yes, USA and Canada are through to the next round. Um, <clears throat> Jamaica are representing Group C. They're playing for who wins that group on Tuesday. And then the aforementioned Honduras, they'll play Qatar. Qatar with the win would be in the next round. Panama would need a lot of help to get to the next round. But it's looking like it's those two, Honduras and Qatar. And with Mexico, I mean, they, they have four points with Trinidad just under them at one point. However, Trinidad's goal difference is pretty bad. So I think Mexico would have to do pretty poorly against El Salvador, especially if, and that's even if Trinidad wins their final match against Guatemala. Yes. 
mathematically they do, but the odds of them actually making it might be a little bit slim. Now, the thing about Mexico here is with a win or a draw, they're through to the next round. But right. if it's a draw, they'll stay in second. Yeah, yeah. If they if they draw against uh, El Salvador, who currently has six, they'll be solidified at second. They have to beat El Salvador to take the top spot in their group. And if that's the case, Mexico finishes in second. It maps out a possible semifinal between USA and Mexico rather than a possible final. Vamos a ver. We'll see how that happens. I see Mexico coming away with a dub. It won't be the easiest dub because even in the game against Guatemala, like the first 15 minutes, Guatemala were giving it to them. Um, I'm going I'm to go opposite you. I think El Salvador will walk away with either a point or the win against Mexico. Uh, Salvador looks good. They look ready um, and um, can't really say the same for them for Mexico. Uh, I think they're marred in a bunch of drama and as we like to call it bullshit. Um, so we shall see what happens there, but I got El Salvador topping the group nonetheless. By the time this comes out, the games have already been played. So we'll see how far off we are. There's a day gap in between, but group C is between Jamaica and Costa Rica for the group. Um, I still see Jamaica taking the group. Yeah, uh, you. you uh, I remember you and I, I believe our guests Rojas. I think called Jamaica to top the group. I think we all <clears throat> on that episode might have called Jamaica to top the group. There, onto the big group, your group. Mm, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You said Qatar would finish first. It still could be that way, but uh, it's still Honduras for me, boy. Very, very much possible. Honduras does sit in the driver's seat. They've got six points. So your boys, I mean, they're all but assured uh, the first place uh, spot, but they've got to beat Qatar. Anything can happen. I mean, Honduras, play, if they can play for the draw, they'll top the group. They lose, then Qatar will sit up top of the group with seven points. Um, either way, neither here nor there, they're both going to advance. Um, and uh, we've got Panama, who's at one point just underneath them, and Grenada just came to have fun. Should Qatar... Uh, at least pull out a draw from Honduras and they're uh, assured uh, into the next round, albeit in second place. Um, if they lose, they'll have to lose uh, pretty regularly or pretty decently. And Phantom is going to have to score a hell of a lot of goals on, Gren on Grenada, who, um, to be fair, haven't scored anything and have conceded eight goals in two games. So it's very much possible, like you mentioned. Pair of four pieces. Oof, ain't that something? The goal differences here are kind of nuts, though. Martinique with a minus, with a <laughs> minus nine goal difference, 12 goals uh, conceded uh, with three goals for, uh, you know, just some stuff that you see uh, in this it's, tournament. Martinique scored against all three of their opposition. They led Canada for like five minutes. Yeah. They scored <laughs> against – they scored against <laughs> – They scored against <laughs> – <laughs> I'm sorry. You have a good serious point. I'll let you get it off. <laughs> it's, going, it's going against the U.S. and they lost to Haiti today in a much closer competition, two-one. <laughs> I think it was just that they let Canada kind of give them the ass whooping is what happened after scoring and going ahead first. But um, yeah, tough tournament for Martinique among amongst others. But that's that's the Gold Cup. Um, we'll see what happens after the group ends this uh, this coming week. I think Tuesday is the last day. Uh, of the group stage. Yes, sir. Uh, but that being said, I mean, but we do have a competition that is beginning every four years, well, in this case, five years. It's here again. It is the Olympics. The Olympics are coming. The Olympics are coming. The Olympics are coming. Um, <laughs> That's a COVID yes. thing. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> COVID is like, <laughs> And before we even talk about the competition on the field, that's the one elephant in the room we gotta talk about there's gonna be no fans in attendance absolutely um, i mean it went from it went from you know no fans to fans being there after things started to get better when the vaccine rolled out to, to fans being unable or not allowed to cheer uh only to clap like it's a golf tournament and now we're back at uh fans not allowed at the games yeah man they went into a state of emergency like a week or two ago and there will be no spectators which is going to be a disappointment. The Olympics, whether it be footy here in our case or gymnastics, athletics, swimming, they're all like the big Olympic competitions that people around the world watch are all going to be literally made for TV events. 
So it's going to be suck to see no atmosphere. We're probably going to see what leagues around the world are doing was putting in artificial fan noises. But um, we shall see. But, like, can you just imagine watching an Olympic swim meet and hearing nothing but the water splash? Um, yeah. <laughs> like ducks in a pond. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> I, 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 it's going to be an interesting Olympics from that perspective. We're kind of used to watching matches without fans. Like, we just spent most of the Copa America without fans, but also once the leagues returned after the pandemic, like the Bundesliga, you're going to just hear players scream, hey, hey, go forward, forward, cut back, cut back. Like, for some we're not surprised at. Yeah, I think, you know, you hit it right there on the head. Um, the fact that, well, these other events that, you know, the marquee Olympic events won't have, you know, crowd participation or just people in the crowd there for them to see all these things. That's going to be weird. I mean, a track meet with nobody in the in the stadium, you know, that's that's just going to be a lot of, you know, feet hitting the ground. As far as footy goes, you know, we're pretty much used to the stuff. We spent the, a whole year with no fans. Artificial noise, albeit, I mean, if you wanted it. But, yeah, just a lot of hearing uh, most captains' voices yelling uh, to press or go back or whatnot. So um, I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Um, but it'll be nothing new for us as footy hits. One more event that I'm going to be curious to see without fans uh the opening ceremony oh yeah and I, I feel like that's just such a, a big thing in, in regards to the energy of the crowd and whatnot and you know just feeding off of that um and then also another thing another, you know about the opening ceremony just you know aside from the crowd the fact that when they have all of the you know the nations walk out onto the track and they're sort of in you know close proximity to each other People who don't watch sports watch the opening ceremony of the Olympics because it's that much of an entertainment marquee event. As for the Parade of Nations, when all the delegations come out, I would guess that because it's going to be an empty stadium, they'll sit in the stands. That would be a, that would be a good use of, I mean, empty seats. And I think that would be an interesting thing on TV just to see the seats still filled up by professionals. But, yeah, I just wonder how things will work. I just imagine that they're going to use much more fireworks than they're used to using, maybe some CGI, Japanese culture. Yes, it is actually Tokyo's second Olympics, first since 1964, and it's Japan's fourth Damn. Olympics, first since the 1998 Winter Games in Nagano. So, on to the footy. It always begins two days before the opening ceremony with the women's competition. We have a plethora of games beginning at Four in the morning if you're out here in the New York area. Um, Ooh, early as hell. That's early enough to see uh, folks going to work talking about, let me get a coffee, light and sweet. <laughs> I think the thing about the Olympics is that a lot of these teams don't necessarily have their big guns. It depends on the country, of course. Most likely won't feature um, uh, some of their star players, but still players of quality. So uh, it's yes, really to anybody's point, tournament. To that point, because the men's Olympic tournament is a U23 competition, with the exception of three overage players, well, U24 now because of the one-year delay, mm -hmm. uh, you'll still have a lot of U24 players that we may recognize on this team. And plus, depending on what three old heads you bring into the squad, you might have a lot of recognizable faces. Let's take France, for example. They, they did call up Eduardo Camavinga, of Rennes. We saw him make a name for himself in a, um, I think it was a Nations League match. But Ren, because the Olympics are not in the FIFA calendar, Rennes didn't need to let him go. And all these clubs don't need to let their players go. We saw that Liverpool didn't let go of Mohamed Salah when yep. the Egyptian Olympic Committee wanted him there. Yeah, but France is sitting on one old head, old head. I think that you're about to get to, though. We are about to get into that old head. One of my favorite old heads. I see this man week in, week out in Mexico. Killing it, cooking the game. Andre Pierre Gignac. He's that guy. <laughs> He's actually named the captain for this French squad. So I'm hype. Fellow Marseille icon Florian Talvin, who just made the move to Tigres in Mexico, linking up with Gignac, is there as well. But then you look at a lot of the young players, some of the guys you may not have heard of, some of the guys like Timothée Pembele, who was an 18-year-old at PSG, 
might be recognizable to some. You're going to see that across the board. Like, going further in Japan, a lot of people are going to recognize Takifusa Kubo, who people dubbed the Japanese Messi, who I think is still Real Madrid's property, but he was at Getafe last season. Yes, yes, he is. He was on loan. I hope that kid turns out to be the star he is. Well, there we go with the data disc and the facts. Uh, and, and Spurs fans uh, who have been watching transfer news will note Takahiro Tomoyasu as well, who's a defender there. Trying to sign um, him think, from Bologna. Yep, who's still there at Bologna where Spurs are trying to sign. We'll recognize him. So, you know, I'll be watching Japan with their cool-ass uh, sky blue shirts. Oh, um, I love so, yeah. those sky blue kits. They're really nice, really pretty shirts. Love it. Those are just some of the players that we recognize in Group A. Um, let's look at Mexico now. All but one of the players on their squad are in playing in Mexico. The lone exception, Diego Lainez, who plays for Real Betis. People were tech to see him there and not at the Gold Cup, but someone had to go. And one of the recognizable old heads that you will see, um, Guillermo Ochoa. Mr. Six Fingers himself. <laughs> we also have a lot of other youngins like Uriel Antuna. The other team in Group A is South Africa, which I cannot give you any analysis on. Most of their players play in South Africa. You do have quite a few who play in Portugal, and you have a player who's 24 years old in the Ukraine. Since we're already on Group A, it is that Mexico-France game in Tokyo is going to be the first game for both those sides. So that game could set the tempo for either side. Yeah, in that Group A, I mean... It's anybody, and like I said at the beginning, it's anybody's tournament. So it's about whoever, which one of these young stars can come out swinging from the early. So, I mean, you could assume that France and or Mexico will show up in the latter stages of the tournament. That first match will mean a lot. And I'm sure, Ronnie, you'll be watching uh, as your Honduras will be in the other group, uh, Group B. Yes, because in the knockout stage, Group A and Group B will cross over. So I'm going to be curious to see who plays who in the knockouts, especially if Honduras either wins the group or finishes runner-up, which I could see either or happening. I would like to see Honduras play Japan, but you can't sleep on either France or Mexico. I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go... Um, France wins the group, Japan finishes in second. Mexico's in third, South Africa's last. It's going to be Ooh. tough. It's going to be tough. I mean, hey, it's anything could happen. I think I agree with you. I think France will take top spot. Um, I'm looking out for my best interest, okay? Because I want to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest about it. I love that. Again, winner of Group B, which would be Honduras, in my opinion, crosses over with the runner-up, which is Japan. That would be a good matchup. Group B, Honduras and South Korea link up in this group. They actually play the last match of the group stage, a match I'm looking forward to seeing. And they open against Romania, and they also play New Zealand in this group. Now, if we look at some of the talents on all these sides, Honduras, the one guy I am having a keen eye on is a man who was in the youth ranks at Inter, but now he's at Regina, Rigoberto Rivas, forward for Los Mini Catrachos. You also have the likes of Jorge Benguche. He plays for Boavista. And then a lot of other guys. Most of the squad plays in Honduras. Um, Chris Wood is representing New Zealand. The Burnley player. Um, Winston Reed of Brentford also on this squad as well. So a couple of Premier League talents on this team. Romania is a team that, again, much like uh, South Africa, I can't tell you much about. I don't know much about Romanian footy. They do have a player in Brighton, though. Yeah, they used to have a player in Spurs, Vlad Kirikesh. That boy was terrible. <laughs> and South Korea squad is headlined by Kangin Lee of Valencia. And they do have a few players who play for the Ulsan Hyundai. We saw them at the Club World Cup. Yeah, when we look at Group B, I see South Korea finishing second behind Honduras. New Zealand will finish third, though. Romania will be a European disappointment in this competition. Yeah, uh... <laughs> About Romania, I have absolutely nothing to say about them. Honduras will have a, uh, quite the time against them in their opening match, uh, in a good way, of course. Which um, starts at, I believe, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, a match I don't have to break night for. Yeah, that's early, but it's late enough where you don't have to question your life, like 3 a.m. watching soccer. Um, but 
luckily. 7 a.m., not bad. Are you going with that same top four, Honduras, Austria, New Zealand, Romania? Um, now, okay. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm with you that Honduras will go, will go top spot. I, I'll go with you there. I won't stray from the uh, order there. I mean, South Korea, they, in 2012, they finished as the bronze medalist. Last yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Who knocked their ass out? But I don't know, man. <laughs> South Korea in the Olympics is a team that I respect highly. As Jose Mourinho said, the best way to respect a team is to beat them, and beat them very good. But that might be a game that could determine the group. The final match day, these teams might be level on point or something. And Honduras, even though in the Olympic warm-ups, they got clapped by Japan, 3-1. But the bright spot was that the aforementioned Rivas scored for Honduras. And then in their last match ended 1-1 against Germany. But everyone's talking about that for other reasons. On the field in particular, Honduras, they took Germany to 1-1, which is encouraging. Yeah, a young German team who um, the most I can say about them is uh, a post that Ronnie sent me announcing their squads. And it was some sort of animated thing. The best squad announcement video i have ever seen that rollout was impeccable facts man air horns for that squad yep. announcement and if we're going off uh creativity in the squad announcement hey germany's gonna be a powerhouse in this tournament <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to their group in a minute we do have group c to talk about in between group c features egypt spain argentina and australia the match of I'm circling is the final match of the group, Spain and Argentina. Spain coming heavy with, with a, a real squad. A lot Literally, of players that played at the Euros. And... Six of them, specifically Unai, Simon, Pau Torres, Mikel Oriazabal, Eric Garcia, Circle Pedri, and Dani Olmo. Pedri, if he had himself a hell of a Euro, if he's not overworked, he's going to have a hell of an Olympics too. Absolutely. Uh, a player that literally all Barcelona fans or um, Spanish have been raving about. Pedri, who, I mean, really showed up and showed up, proved everybody right in their praise of him uh, this past season. I mean, to have a guy like him there to control that midfield. I mean, six players from the Euros got to make Spain some sort of a favorite. I don't know. I think they are. And I don't want to jump the gun, but since we're talking about them, they're my favorites to win the tournament. I think I'm right there with you. I mean, they're in a hell of a group, though. I mean, they play Argentina in their final group match. So, I mean, that's a hell of a group there. Other names on this Spain side, Marco Asensio and Dani Ceballos are two of the three overage players representing Spain. To have Marco Asensio, who you can consider hasn't panned out at Madrid so far, still a talented player. You mentioned Pedri, of course, and then the, the rest of the guys that you're going to mention, still plenty of talent. Egypt, real quick. Um... Mohamed El Shanawi just won the African Champions League with Al Ahli. A lot of the Al Ahli players are going to be with this Egyptian squad in Tokyo. They amount to six players, the club with the second most players represented at the Olympics. Moving on to Argentina, I saw this man a couple years ago at the Pan American Games in Peru, Adolfo Gaich. He's 22 years old. At the time of the Pan American Games, he was playing at San Lorenzo, one of the best teams in Argentina that's not Boca or River. Argentina won those Pan American Games. They defeated Honduras in the gold medal final. He was at CSK in Moscow last year. Um, he played for Benevento on loan. Also on this Argentine squad, Ezequiel Barco of Atlanta United, who since joining this club has been a bit up and down, you could say. When he's on fire, he, he's really nice. They also have Argentina, Alexis McAllister of Brighton. And Australia, let's not forget about Australia. You have a mix of players who play in the domestic league there. You have players that play in England. And you have Jordan Holmes, who plays for Ebbs Fleet United, who are in the sixth division of English footy. You say sixth? As many fingers as Ochoa has on one hand? They play in the National League South. Oof. <laughs> Not the National League South. Is that going to be what puts Argentina last place in your eyes? I mean, uh, Australia? 
Yeah, I think Australia got it bad uh, in their group. <laughs> this might be the group of death, if not for group D, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, long, long are the days um, of Australia having, you know, players like Tim Cahill on their squad. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, the uh, Socceroos have it tough, if you will. Are we going to say Spain win the group, Argentina's in second with Egypt in third and keep it pushing? Because that's how I have it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so I guess just to add a bit of difference, I'll go Egypt second, Argentina third, unfortunately. But Spain first, 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 first. Uh, Spain, I'll be shocked if they don't win the tournament. Interesting to see that development. And the last group, which I think could be labeled a group of death. We spoke about Germany's squad announcement. Their first match is a rematch of the 2016 Olympic final, which saw Brazil win their first ever Olympic gold, LV. Brazil. <laughs> I remember that match like it was yesterday. Maracanã, heck. Um, also in their group, the Ivory Coast and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has nobody outside of their domestic league playing on that squad. Again, it's another squad that I can't really talk about because I don't know much. Um, yep, I'm not going to talk about it either. <laughs> Ivory Coast. Um, when you look at the squad, you're going to look at the two Manchester United players who are on this squad. Eric Bailly, one of the only – they only have two overage players, Eric Bailly and Frank Kessie of AC Milan, the other one, who had a hell of a year last year at Milan. Also at Manchester United, Amadiallo, the 19-year-old talent they recently signed of Atalanta. So I expect for especially Diallo to get some goals off. Frank Kessie, hopeful he'll get a goal maybe. The first game of the group is Brazil and Germany. They're going to be fighting for top spot. A spot I'm going to have to give to Brazil. Looking at their squad, they called up Richarlison, who's coming fresh off of Copa America runner-up. Paulinho of Bayer Leverkusen. Young 21-year-old talent who people are going to have eyes on. Gabriel Martinelli. Um, Arsenal fans will be happy to hear that name. Some recognition. He was injury played last year. I'm going to be curious to see how he plays. Malcolm. We forget how young he is. I certainly did. He's 24. Yep. He who, he who never was. But Not he, is, he is 24. You're right. He is 24, and he's making a name of himself in Russia. Um, Anthony. 21 years old of Ajax. I've seen that man play in the Eredivisie. And the one name that really sticks out like a sore thumb, Dani Alves. Oof, when they said they could call up three OHEP players, they might have used all three of their OHEP cards on <laughs> Danny Alves. I know Otis. Danny Alves is old. Right? That's, what I'm, that's the point I'm trying to make. He's yeah, old, so. but an old head who has not lost a step in Sao Paulo. Absolutely. I mean, he's still got the speed there, uh, you know, probably when it's said and done, one of the greatest right backs. Maybe not the greatest right back in Brazilian history, but he's sitting in great company. So, uh, yeah, Brazil, I mean, they, they called up a special one, I guess. Uh, and a leader, a winner, if you will. Not a bad call up. Um, not at all. Um, that's Brazil squad. And lastly, on to Germany. All but one of their players plays in Germany. The lone player who doesn't is Sven Borderson. He plays in Japan for Yokohama. I would have loved the to one... see Jamal Musiala playing. <clears throat> Sorry to cut you off, Arnie. He's not on the squad, which is sad. Yeah, I would love to see him play. I mean, he played. He was on the Euro squad. Uh, didn't get much, some time to play, but I would love to see him play. Yeah, and there's no Bayern Munich players at the Olympics, at least in the men's competition. So, would have been nice to see him in the competition. Um. The one name that I recognize when you look at the squad right off the bat, Maximilian Arnold, who's at Wolfsburg. One of the three overage players for the junior Mannschaft. Max Kroos also is a name. Again, another old head. Plays for Union Berlin. Another name I recognize. Yeah, then you have a lot of these youngins who play all across Germany. Florian Muller plays for Stuttgart goalkeeper. Germany's going to finish second in the group behind Brazil. Uh, I have Ivory Coast finishing in an um, advancing spot. I like the players that they picked. 
I think Aaron Bag's okay. I really am a fan of Amon Diallo. I think he's got something to prove. Frank Kessian was cool. Remember that Wilds goal he scored against Manchester United in the oh, Europa League that was guy. called off? Um, so I like I like Ivory Coast. I'm picking them to finish in a uh, knockout position. So um, I think I'm going to go they finish uh, second, Brazil finish first. Okay, I like this. I like this. I like this. Switching things up, if you will. Again, I see Spain making the run to win the Olympics. I'm assuming you are in agreement. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to getting my ass up early for some of these matches. We shall see how things set up. Oh, if it does go how I say it, one of the knockout round matchups will be Spain-Germany. Love to see Spain versus Germany no matter where it's at. I got Spain. If it does happen, I, I have to agree. I don't see anyone stopping Spain this tournament. And if Spain do anything short of winning gold, it will be a surprise. And then I'm looking at the way the bracket shapes up. Honduras will be playing Japan, and Brazil will be playing Argentina. Ooh Twice in a knockout in one summer? I would love to see that. As much as I would like to see Argentina win it, Brazil's back. France, Spain in the semifinal, Honduras, Brazil in the semifinal, and bronze medal game, Honduras. I don't know how they will. Maybe penalties will get the better of France. Spain will get the better of Brazil. Boom. No love for Honduras uh, being Brazil in uh, the semis? If that happens, I would love that. But I, I'm, I just told you how stacked Brazil is. I, I'm scared that it would be another 6 nothing Olympic ass-whooping. If Honduras makes it to the final, I'm, I'm an active fool because Honduras will be assured of an Olympic medal for the first time ever in any discipline. And we'd love to see that. Final thoughts on the men's cup? Ivory Coast, dark horse. I like that pick. Yeah, I want to see Ahmed Diallo uh, putting some work. He just showed a lot of potential when he moved to Man United. Atalanta were fools to let him go. but Hey, man, that sucks on them, but he's going to be a bright light. But the Olympics are not done with just a men's competition, my friend. The women will have their go. The first game will be Great Britain and Chile. But the game in this match day that a lot of people will be circling is in Group G, Sweden and the U.S., but like we did with the men, let's break down the women one time. Well, first of all, the fact that there's only three groups and not four is BS on its own. Yeah. I mean, why though? I don't get it. I don't get it either. But looking at these groups for the women, Great Britain, which is basically England, which is basically Manchester City, should throttle their group. I'm looking at the likes of Lucy Bronze, Ellen White. Fran Kirby, who was the best women's player in England. She's at Chelsea. Chile, they are in their first ever Olympics. The one person who anyone would recognize, I certainly do. Christiane Endler, she is PSG's goalkeeper. Canada also makes good runs in the Olympics. You'll always have Christine Sinclair leading your team. You also have Khadija Buchanan, she plays for Leon. Ashley Lawrence, PSG. There's a lot of NCAA players on this team, too. And then you have Japan. They are one-time women's world champions. They were the bronze medalists in the subsequent Olympics. You also have players playing in the NWSL and in the Women's um, Super League in England. Yeah, I don't see a world in which Great Britain don't win. They look too good. Brazil. Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. China. Zambia and the Netherlands. Right away, you gotta look at the Netherlands. They finished runners up at the Women's World Cup. Um, one of the Champions League winners, Lika Martins for Barcelona is on this Dutch squad. They also have players from um Wolfsburg, specifically Shanice Van de Sanden. She is elite. China, can't really talk much about them. Literally everyone plays in China. I haven't seen the Women's Chinese Super League. China. Zambia, same thing. I can't really speak much for them. Unlike the men's tournament, they're the only African team at the women's competition, which I find crazy. And, of course, you got Brazil. Marta's in there. Me in particular, I like Debinha. She plays for North Carolina. Um, I feel like every women's tournament I have ever seen that features Brazil, has Formiga on the team. 
No, that's a fact. <laughs> and I don't keep up with the game as much, but that's a fact. So that being said, I have the Netherlands winning the group, Brazil finishing in second. And Group G, well, well, first of all, do you agree with me? Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you too much. Um, although I do have a special place in my heart for Marta. So I don't know. I'm, I might go Brazil first, actually. I'll go Brazil one. Okay, okay. I'm not mad at this. Group G, the women's group of death. Sweden, USA, Australia, and New Zealand, the latter two, are co-hosting the next Women's World Cup in 2023. And of course, when it comes to a group featuring the USA women, you've got to look at that squad. Um, the USA had some women playing in the Women's Super League, um, specifically Rose Lavelle, but she went back to the States. Alex Morgan only played like three games for Spurs before coming yep, back to Orlando. three games, had some injuries, debuted super late. She was like Gareth Bale at the beginning of last season, didn't play until after like the second or third international break. Uh, finally she got came a game in. having a child, too. Yeah, so maybe that had something to do with it. But had literally, like you said, only played three matches before she said, yeah, I'm out of here. So Tobin Heath and Kristen Press played for Manchester United last season. Uh, Tobin Heath was hurt towards the end. And on the squad here, they're listed as unattached. Interesting. That's my colon after I have Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Unattached. <laughs> What's also interesting here from the women's national team point of view, this is the first tournament under coach Vladko Andonovsky. He replaced Jill Ellis. It's always good. It's always interesting to see Sweden and the U.S. play. That's like the women's Argentina, England, where they're becoming two bitter rivals cross confederation. I feel like Sweden and USA play in every women's tournament. Um, that being said, USA wins the group. Sweden second. Can't argue against uh, USA, even though Sweden, like you said, always appear in the World Cups and whatnot. Uh, USA, too much of a powerhouse, no matter who plays, even if players are unattached or whatever you want to call it. Australia might finish in third in the group. Their big player, Sam Kerr, also at Chelsea. Australia's captain. Yeah, just a quick tidbit. Germany are not in this Olympics, huh? No, the defending champions are not. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, the defending champions, and they're not, they're not playing. Which is crazy because the qualifying system is the top four European teams from the World Cup go to the Olympics. So there's not like an Olympic qualifying tournament or since it's the senior team, the women's zeros. But yes, USA to win the tournament. Very safe, uh, easy bet, yeah. Hot take, they don't. I'd like to see Brazil and Netherlands even go far, but I'm going USA, so who's your hot take? Well... Last go-around at the Olympics, USA didn't even win a medal for the first time ever. They got knocked out by Sweden, who ended up as silver medalists. Fun fact, a team who wins the Women's World Cup does not win gold at the subsequent Olympics. That's really interesting, but I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense. My hot take, though, Great Britain wins this. I was going to say, like, Great Britain women uh, bring it home and beyond, if you will. <laughs> So yes, the Olympics start this week. Air horns for that. Shouts to everyone who will be following these Olympics. They begin two days before the opening ceremony. Again, on July 21st, opening ceremonies on July 23rd. And the women's final is on August 6th. And the men's final, August 7th. There's that. It would be that time right now. Before that... Let's do some quick hits, talk about what we saw this week in the footy world, LV. Start this okay. off. The biggest thing, um, I mean, I've seen the most dramatic news broadcastings about this. Lionel Messi's contract, which we all know was worth uh, the GDP of half the world, um, ran out on June the 30th. Uh, since then, there has been concern about where the short man legend uh, Argentinian Copa America first-time winner would end up. Barcelona obviously keen to keep him. It brought his best friend, Sergio Aguero, to play. Um, so if that doesn't tell you anything, I don't know what does. Ronald Koeman himself said, yo, of course we're concerned. They signed Memphis Depay. They still don't know what they want. But neither here nor there. It was reported allegedly that Lionel Messi has agreed contract. The terms have not been announced, and he has, himself has not been formally announced to re-sign. Uh, Bloomberg reported 
uh, two days ago, which would be last this past Friday, that he is nearing a deal that would be at 50% of a pay cut. So going from around 160 something million US dollars to about 80 million US dollars. And um, allegedly Barcelona would be required to do something of the sort in order to be within uh, uh, the rules of the financial fair play that La Liga is lapping down on them or whatever the case may be. So uh, a quick bit, Messi allegedly uh, headed back or staying at Barcelona with his good old buddy, old pal, Sergio Aguero, and of course his new Copa America title. Um, Shouts to Bloomberg breaking footy news. Yeah, Bloomberg into it. I think anything in terms of business and monetary stuff, we all in there, baby. So, um, yeah. So Messi staying. Um, another quick hit, Sergio Ramos uh, over to PSG. Quickly on PSG, um, we know about the history and the story of Los Galacticos. We're seeing Les Galactics on wow. PSG. They were very busy this summer. They signed. Atraf Hakimi of Inter Milan after one year at the Serie A winners. Your man's. Oh, I, I do respect him highly. Chasa Atraf Hakimi. Um, they also signed Jimmy Wijnaldum before the summer. They are fresh off signing Gianluigi Donnarumma. They are delighted to announce that hashtag Gianluigi Donnarumma has joined the club. He will be with them until June 30th, 2026. That's as many caps as he has. Uh, Ronnie just showed me a photo of 2026 on his uh, the back of his jersey with him there. I guess for me, it just begs the question. Keylor Navas, his future at PSG, we're assuming it's over? I don't know, man. Keylor Navas is the most disrespected footballer. Hell of a goalkeeper as well. I can't believe it. It's because he's Costa Rican, in my opinion. Which is I don't see that about. guy, but... Which is nuts to think about, but yeah, you might be honest something. One of the only non-European goalkeepers in that elite echelon, um, but... You don't win three Champions Leagues and just get shafted out of nowhere. And I know, like, I don't ever see him being the problem at any club. So, like, this is all very peculiar to me. It's always yeah, Taylor Navas. And even showing his skills as recently as the PSG's Champions League round of 16 clash with Bayern Munich. He came up with huge saves to keep them in the tie or to keep Bayern Munich from getting into the tie. So, I mean, neither here nor there. He is hugely disrespected. Uh, PSG... Don't care. They just signed the new young uh, player of the tournament, first goalkeeper ever to do it uh, in this era. Uh, obviously, Peter Schmeichel was named player of the tournament retroactively for 1992. But Donna at PSG, uh, so Sergio Ramos and Hakimi, as Ronnie mentioned. Let's talk about Sergio Ramos's former club one time. Real, yeah, Real Madrid on that bullshit. This week was plagued by the Real Madrid people if you will. There were leaks upon leaks upon leaks of footage of Florentino Perez just shitting on former players such as Iker Casillas, Raul, Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't even scathed from this. Jose, Jose Mourinho, <laughs> Mesut Ozil, Ozil got Luis Figo. Oh man, Ozil's girl. He called Iker Casillas and Raul the biggest frauds in the club's history. That's tough considering Michael Owen played there. He was, woof, neither here nor there. If you're going to call anyone a fraud, that man is. But no, it's Raul and Iker Casillas. Casillas, who spent almost his entire career there and then was disrespected as he left out the door. Then he said something about Cristiano Ronaldo. I believe he called him an imbecile. You know, uh, I think we like to call that sneak dissing. Unless you uh, show yourself, it's sneak dissing. I think it would just be more entertaining if whoever is saying these sort of things would uh, pull up and be like, yeah, it's me. I got the Luis Figo is one who pisses me off in the dressing room. He has been a son of a bitch like Raul. Within that, he also praised Zinedine Zidane. He called Guti a moron. He told the story of Mesut Ozil's girlfriend at the time. Mourinho said everyone at AC Milan and Inter Milan um, effed your B. Mm. See, they had a field trip up in there. That's terrible. Literally, um, the 90s term would be running a train. But Oop. yeah, the leaks just keep on coming. One thing I'm seeing, people are like, oh, we don't know what context he said this in. In what context is any of the shit you said okay? 
Yep. Whether or not any of that is true, why does the public need to know of this? Why are you bringing this out into public light? I don't care if it gets leaked or if we know about it. I know the comments about Casillas or no Raul were after he left the post as president before his second stint. But like people are saying it's because of that, which is the context. I'm like, in no context is this shit okay. Yeah, this is sort of reminds me of like, and not to go away from the world of footy, but former LA Clippers owner Donald Sterling saying stuff to his little two young girlfriend, and then his argument sort of being the same thing, like, oh, oh, like he didn't want Michael jo- Magic Johnson at the game because he's black. Yeah, don't take you can say you can hang out with them, just don't take pictures with them on the Instagram. So it sort of reminds me of that. Like, in what con- context is that okay? It's not really. I'm just waiting for him to say, oh, Sergio Ramos was always subpar in my eyes. Karen Benzema's a bozo, Tony Cruz is a Nazi, and ain't, ain't no, Marcelo ain't, safe. ain't shit. Like, Gareth Bale, Gareth Bale's going bald. I mean, <clears throat> waiting on that. Again, in no context is shit like this okay, and what I find even crazier is that people are still going to want to play at Real Madrid knowing this shit. Well, first things first, if it's happening at Real Madrid, I feel like it's probably happening at many of the biggest clubs in the world, but I think the main thing about it is that this has been really showing how toxic and nasty these big clubs around the world are. We saw the nasty stuff going on with the president of Barcelona, Bartomeu, last summer. We saw the nastiness and the messiness going on with that. Then we saw the Super League drama with all these uh, heads of these uh, pre- of these clubs in Agnelli, in uh, Fiorentino Perez, who we know is a notorious piece of shit. So just kind of exposing these... Uh, Super League sides, quote unquote, uh, how nasty things are in those dressing rooms, but they are the clubs of note, and those are the clubs that players want to play for. So they kind of it's like a self, you know, um, self-driving sort of evil cycle there. But uh, yeah, it just really shows how nasty things are at Barcelona. Y'all mentioned off the pod the Galacticos documentary that you and Spencer watched. You, you know, still just, have to watch it. Yeah, which is kind of, I guess, from yeah, from what I've heard from you guys, even show more the nastiness at these sort of clubs. So, uh, really nasty stuff going on. Fix it. And we haven't said in a while, but yeah, fix that shit. One last quick thing of note before we get into that time. FIFA are trying out a new football system, which features two 30-minute halves, the game clock stopping whenever the ball goes out of the field of play, unlimited substitutions, throw-ins will be replaced by kick-ins, yeah, this sounds like basketball. I'll tell you what this sounds like a lot to me. This sounds like college soccer in the U.S. Oofta. I'm not going to say I hate it because I work for a college. Um, I dislike this. Yeah, I think um, there is improving the game and adapting the game, and then there's going too far. Yeah, I think this is going too far. This is being trialed at a youth tournament in the Netherlands. Think about unlimited substitutions. Like someone has a little cardboard going in and out, in and out. Or like hockey when they make line changes. Yeah, in basketball when you've got a player sitting at the scoreboard waiting to check back in at a free throw, whatever the case may be. So it just gives a chance for good players to get rested and kind of changes the whole dynamic of the game. The 30-minute halves, I mean, it just cuts pretty much 30 minutes out of the game. Yeah, no, nah, I'm good. And then the game stopping like every however many yeah, minutes. Yeah, the game like clock stops. Minutes. That in itself will change, you know, tactics in a game. We see how it affects ba- basketball and football where timeouts are used, you know, tactically late in the game. Fouls are used tactically late in the game to try to affect the score of the game. Like, it's something that's just very different from soccer and slash footy. Um, so, and then the five-minute substitutions for a yellow card. Imagine if there's, like, a little bit of a dust-up and there's, like, multiple yellows and you'll only have, like, a eight-on-six. Like, come on. Yeah, man, in terms of the hockey, we've got power plays. I'm good. That sounds like some bullshit. Speaking of. Uh, is, is it that time, Moby? It certainly is that time because I smell bullshit in the air, which means that it's BS of the week time. Right, Ronnie? BS of the week time it is. Um, let's be honest. This was one of my BSs of the week. Um, I have two. We share one, but I have two. One, apparently per the athletic, Saudi Arabia are looking to bid for the 2030 World Cup. Oof, yeah, I remember you showed me that. Oh, my God. No problem with Saudi Arabia trying to bid for the World Cup, even though, yeah, you can question their human rights and all that, which is why Qatar has been criticized for hosting this upcoming World Cup. But apparently they want to come up with a joint bid. You've seen joint bids happen before, specifically Korea-Japan. 
and the upcoming 2026 World Cup, which is USA, Canada, and Mexico. But apparently, Saudi Arabia wants to joint bid with Italy. Rome and Riyadh are like 4,000 miles away. Could you imagine your quarterfinal match being played in Riyadh and your semifinal match being played in Milan? No. So the thought of that cross-confederation World Cup bid happening, I don't like that shit. I did mention earlier when we were talking the Olympics, Australia and New Zealand are co-hosting the World Cup in 2023. And that's a cross-confederation bid, but the difference is at least they're next to each other. Italy and Saudi Arabia are worlds apart. That's a five and a half hour flight, just to let you know. I'm not with that. You saw how players who had to play a game in Baku had to deal with playing games there and then going straight to Rome, or in Denmark's case, going there and to London. It makes no sense. So one of my BS of the week, LV, I'll let you take the floor before I give my second. Okay, my BS of the week, uh, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, the Serie A came out with some sort of ruling over the past week that they would be banning the use of green kits uh, for outfield players starting in the 2022-2023 campaign, which means, hey, keep the green off of your jersey. And this is for allegedly, as they said, quote-unquote, television clarity. So basically, teams will have to combine, and I'm reading this as a quote uh, from an ESPN article, by the way, teams will have to combine other dominant colors with green to avoid any confusion. What's the confusion? The grass? I'm confused. Uh, they're confusing me, if you will. Uh, so, you know, many many teams wear green, uh, specifically a breakout club this past season uh, with stars such as Manuel Locatelli in Sassuolo are known for having the green stripes. Sassuolo have green in their emblem. Venezia, another club, not as good, also have green in their emblem. Sassuolo are known as the Nero Verdi, which I don't speak Italian, but they got green in there. So they'll have to get rid of these uh, green, which is a dominant color in their kits, which is striped with black. Venezia is striped with orange. Lazio had an all lime green away kit. They can't do that no more. So uh, I mean, that lime green kit was low-key disgusting. So in that regard, <laughs> that's very good. It was better when Ventus did it. Well, I thought so too, because <laughs> that shit is banned. No green. Uh, allegedly to cause some sort of clarity and avoid confusion. The only thing it's confusing, Ronnie, is me. And that's my BS of the week. Last BS of the week. We started this podcast in MLS. We're going to end it there. San Jose Earthquakes, Saturday night. Um, They drew Colorado Rapids 1-1. There was, uh, you know, when coaches disagree with a referee's decision, they let the referee have it. Not even the fourth officials on them, they'll bark at the main official. When there's a language barrier, it kind of muddies the waters a bit. So you send a translator to help talk shit for you. So the coach for San Jose is Argentine Matias Almeida. His interpreter, Agustin Zalazar, he was translating like all the smack that Matias Almeida had to say. So much so that the translator got sent off. He was given his marching order. (laughs) You can see the highlight where the interpreter is just Letting the referee have it. He's just voicing his displeasure at a play or at a call or whatever happened. Wait, but is he just translating the message? Is he just the messenger in this? Or does he actually have feelings about it? Now, if you're asking me, the interpreter might be adding a little bit of sauce to it. Uh, Ah, so he he felt the way. It's personal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like he felt the way. He added whatever sauce Matias Almeida had to say. And I left Almeida not being able to properly communicate with his team in the 1-1 draw. So Agustin Zalazar, I don't know if he gets BS of the week or just this this moment in particular gets BS of the week because as an interpreter myself, if you have to translate something in a heated situation, it's not going to come out pretty. And um, in this case, he got a red card for it. And that is my BS of the week. That was a lot more bullshit than I could comprehend. So that being said, before any bullshit, any more bullshit pops up, uh, before we're out of here, Ronnie, do you want to go ahead and sign the boys off? Yes, sir. And it's worth knowing that San Jose are near the bottom of the Western Conference. 
So this has been episode five. Oh, the golden episode. The episode where we talk about teams going for gold. Quite fitting. And uh, these two guys who have been with us this episode are golden in their own rights for LV. And Spence. I go by the name of Ronnie. We thank you all for listening. We thank you all for interacting with us on social medias. So much so that some of you guys disagree with our best 11s for Euro and Copa, but that's neither here nor there. We respect your opinions. Stay strong, be brave, enjoy the Gold Cup and the Olympics. Adios, me, and death. Woo! That Japan Olympic shirt. Fire. Great pod.